Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Joining me on the phone, as always, it is a co-host, Alan Niven. Bonjour, Monsieur Alain. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, it's uh, early morning for a rock and roller in Arizona, and I believe <laughs> we have a wonderful guest on the line with us. We do. If she's in Germany, if she's in Germany, she should just be getting up too. Well, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, yes. But let me talk. We have Doro Pesh, and, and one of the reasons is on uh, a recent episode, we discussed how she did a, for the lack of a better word, a drive-in concert at the Car Antenna Arena in Worms, Rhineland, Palatinate, Germany. That's that's why can't why couldn't you just play Berlin? That would have been so much easier for me to say. <laughs> but Doro, pleasure to have you on. I, I really want to discuss this concept. Uh, bonjour, as we say. Thank you so much. Hi guys, I'm glad to talk to you. And yeah, it was my first drive-in concert ever. And here we called it Auto Kino, and it was so awesome. It was so unbelievable, and it really reminded me on our video all we are. It looked exactly the same. There were tons of cars, usually black cars, because, you know, the metal fans, they usually buy a black car and, and all over like that, like, you know, like great, like, you know, artwork on their on their car and, you know, all the metal T-shirts on. And sometimes they hopped on the car and then they were headbanging and singing along and, you know, and celebrating. And it was such a joy. And I didn't know that it would be good, but, oh, man, now I tell you, you know, I'm, I, I think I could, I could always do that. And since it's not possible to do a normal concert, so I think it is a really good way to still, yeah, play live, to see the fans, and, um, yeah, and to rock out together. It's a great one. And just before I throw it over to Alan, I'll just ask you, in terms of performance, there is obviously an energy when people are, you know, slam dancing in the front of the stage or throwing up their, yeah. their, the, the, you know, the, the, the fists and uh, yeah. was this different or was music, did, did the music win the day basically, or was just like, oh, well, they're in a car. It's kind of weird, but was it weird or was it great? It was great. And uh, before I thought, what could I do that everybody feels really connected? And usually I'm a person, I love to go into the crowd, jump into the crowd, you know, let them sing into my microphone and, you know, feel their sweat, you know, on me. And when they're headbanging, their sweaty hair on me. So it was really, really before I thought, oh man, I don't know if I would have a good time. But then I thought about a couple of little games and, you know, and usually I say, hey, let me hear you scream on the right side. And then I said, hey, let me see, you know, your blinkers on the right side. And then everybody was honking the horn and, you know, showing me the blinker and, you know, putting on the lights. And, and then I could really tell they had fun and like singing along. They were singing so loud. I could, I could really feel it. And, and then by the end of the show, at all we are, I walked into the crowd like, you know, like I, I wasn't too close, but close enough that I could see everybody. And I had such a great time, you know, and all these cars, like it was like, wow, it was so unique, so different, but I loved it. And and I didn't expect, you know, such great night. And it was just two nights yeah. ago, and I definitely want to do some more drive-in shows. And it's hilarious. because it really Different, I, but it works well. Sorry, I, I can just hear Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden going, let me hear you honk. 
Honk for me, Brazil. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's so loud. Oh, God, you know, it was louder than our PA, you know, and probably the neighbors, they didn't like that show. It was the whole night honking the horns and, you know, singing along, and, you know, it was it was loud and wow, and, but awesome, awesome, yeah. So, Alan, uh, let me ask you this, Alan. As the former manager of Guns N' Roses and Great White, what do you think of this con- of this concept? Had you been put in this situation, would you tell your artists like Doro, hey, go do this, it's a great way to connect with fans, or would you say, oh, come on, this this is silly, We you gotta have a regular show? How, how do you sort of see it? Well, the way I see it is I think it was a touch of blonde genius to do this. And being both a fan of drive-in movies and having played at Sturgis, which is the big biker rally every summer up in the Dakotas, where when you play up there, uh, everybody rides in on their bike and you can imagine the vibe and the content of that audience. Um, oh. Yeah, at the end of the song, if they dig you, Doro, they'll fire up their, their hogs. And if they really like you, they'll pull their old lady off the pillion seat and throw her on the stage. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. But no, I think, I think that's really, really a stroke of genius on your part and sounds like an awful lot of fun. And, you know, for me, ultimately, all my decisions, you know, end up being personal. Do I like this guitar player? Do I like this singer? Do I like this band? So in that case, my question would be, would I go? And if I could load up, you know, a big old SUV with full of coolers and good food and, and, and good friends and who knows what else, um, yeah, I'd go. I think that would be fun. I'd go at least once to try it out. And if it worked, <laughs> I'd go again. Yeah, and we could stream it all over the world for free. We streamed it for free so everybody could, you know, could have a, you know, a good time and could see it. And, uh, yeah, so it was... Uh, yeah, well, it well was, let me ask you about that, Doro. In terms of streaming, mm-hmm. do, do you see a, a, a time maybe where instead of going through all the expenses of tour bus and flights and visas and all that, where you just say, listen, for the whatever 30th anniversary special album, we're going to set up in Berlin. We're going to broadcast it around the world. It'll be a one night event. You all pay 10 bucks. Is that something that that would interest you down the road? Or is there still something about you have to tour, you have to get sweaty, you have to get dirty, you you know? Oh, yeah, Mitch, and no, no doubt about it, like the real deal touring, tour bus, the fans, you know, like being really close with the fans and having a great time. I think that's the best, that's the best. But, you know, like in these Corona times where you have to find something, you know, to keep it going. And, you know, that was that was actually great. But my first choice would be like, you know, going on tour like like we did it. And I hope this times can come back maybe they will find a vaccine where it's not dangerous anymore to to get close and together so but the other thing yeah like yeah maybe like a big concert and streaming that would be the next best best thing but the real touring and the experience are oh, yeah nothing can beat that of course of course yeah. not um just before they had, they gave you permission to do this concert 
what were the public health officials like? Did, did you have to go through all kinds of red tape or was it like, ah, she's going to be on the stage, she'll be in a car, they're fine? Or was there really a lot of checking and a lot of temperatures? And, you know, how did the yep. German government react? It, um, there were many people who got tested already. So my whole road crew, they had like a test and they were good and it was um, negative. So it was good. And I think many fans, they, yeah, they had like, um, you know, they, they had protection on. And, um, yeah, and I, I don't know when. When the fans came in, I think they didn't really check because everybody was in their car and then you have to hold the ticket, you know, uh, on your window. You have to keep the windows closed and then somebody checks it. So um, I don't know. But I think it was a tough thing to even get permission to do it. Many people helped uh, helped us to, to put on that show. And, and there was a radio station, which, you know, were awesome. And they promoted the show and, you know, they had us putting on that show and so um so it was kind of organized and um, yeah and everybody was like having you know at least like two or three meters distance between them all the cars they had to be uh, you know in, in a certain place so there was a lot of security there and you know and you couldn't you couldn't really <clears throat> get too close to 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 all the other fans and um i think yeah it, it was yeah, I think it was okay so far. Well, I think it was I great. I mean, the, the video stuff on, on YouTube has just been fun as heck to watch. Um, and, and, and I'll ask you this before we move on over to, uh, to, to something else, but uh, you've got a couple more. The next one, I believe, is June 28th. Uh, are, are you planning to sort, sort of do a, a tour of drive-ins in Germany? And not to sound facetious, but I mean, that's, again, what it's going to be, right? How many more? Yeah, actually, yeah, because uh, some people saw this show like this uh, last few days, and you know, and so we got um, three more auto kino shows, driving shows, and yeah, the next one will be the 28th of June in Bottrop. That's actually close to where I was born, so it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty tough city. And then in Stuttgart, that will be the 24th of July. And then another one, so people were interested, and I guess, you know, you can only do it in the summer because it is open air, and, yeah, and the stage, you know, has, has to be, you know, good, like a good size, so so some of the autokinos, they didn't have a stage, so so you're dependent that it's a good place, but, yeah, a couple of more shows, yeah, I would I would love to do, and then I hope in... September, October, that we can continue the tour. That would be awesome. But I don't know yet. Uh, nobody said anything. So I'm, yeah, I'm still working in the studio at night, working on a new record. There's a new single coming out, which is called Brick Wall. It's coming out on the 26th of uh, June. So, um, yeah, so a couple of live things. But, yeah, but we're hoping for, good. you know. Well, I'm looking forward. Normal time. I'm looking forward to all of this. And yeah, it's a good idea to do it in the summer because I, I do not see myself in January in Montreal at minus 30 Celsius sitting watching anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, being stuck in your car, I think that's not as much fun. But when people can go out or jump on their hood of the car, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And there's still enough distance between the fans and the cast, so I think it was it was awesome. And, it was, yeah. And on stage, we kept uh, our distances too, which we usually don't do. But 
we we try to yes mm-hmm. oh i agree and uh, alan just before we head over to our next guest uh any last words alan well i you know you know i'm a bit of a wise guy i was going to uh, jokingly suggest to doro that she might think of working up a version of life in the fast lane to perform in such a situation i think it might go over well yeah. Right, right. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Let me think about it. That's, or, or, or maybe yeah. even I can't drive. A, re- a really good, powerful, heavy version of it, Doro. That sounds. That sounds good. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah, I will check out the song after we we are hanging up. That's a good idea. Yeah. Life in the fast lane, it's or, got, or it's got that big. It's got that big. Uh, chorus hook on there that uh, I think you could you could absolutely own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Ellen. These were great last words. I will, I will check it out. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And uh, just real quick, uh, you did say you're working on a new album. When does the the complete album come out? Yeah, actually, I think it will take a couple of more months. So next year, and we want to do a best of record. Um, which should come out in September, October. It's called Magic Diamonds, and it's the best of where we re- recorded like all these great songs. And um, I'm just mixing some live songs, which is so awesome to hear, and it really makes you want to play, you know, the real deal again. So that's coming out like before, yeah, Christmas time in autumn, oh, and the new great. record, yeah. Yeah, I think next year, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer because we can't be all together in one studio, so it's a little different now in this day and age. But, um, yeah, but next year you can expect new new songs. And so far, the first single is called Brick Wall. The video just got edited today, and it's coming out on 26th of June. I think it's pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm. I'm hopeful that everything yeah works out well. And but um, yeah, you know, I'm a live person. To me, live and being on tour that's the best part. So, so I, yeah, yeah, I can't oh. wait for new songs to perform and, and absolutely tour again. And uh, uh, in in 2013, there you did the uh, re-recorded version of "Only You" for that Kiss tribute. Uh, that was such a great, yeah. great, great version. So keep, keep, feel, feel free to keep oh, I using that. I love it. Kiss and I'm glad you liked it. And, and you know, one time Gene Simmons produced our record. It was in 1990, Unforgettable Times. And, you know, I, and I'm, I'm still a big Kiss fan. And I love this, especially the songs of Kiss Alive 2. That's, yeah, that's still my favorite record of all times. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I know how much Alan loves Kiss, so he loves hearing these stories, right, Alan? <laughs> Absolutely. Doro, a real pleasure to meet you, if only over on the phone. And well done on a brilliant idea. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you so much, Mitch, for having me on your show again. It's always great to talk to you guys. And, and I wish you all the best and stay healthy, stay happy, and, and hopefully talk soon. I'll see you very soon live. Absolutely. And uh, we will be right back with Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Here's Paul Stanley to tell you why he doesn't want to shake your hand. Some people might have a little rock and roll Ugh, not even cold gin will kill those germs. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. We are speaking with uh, REO Speedwagon's uh, Kevin Cronin, uh, as we say in Montreal. Uh, bonjour, Kevin. How are you? 
Uh, bonjour, Mitch. I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you today? Good. I'm doing great. And uh, I have to say this, uh, and I say it all the time, but the last time we did an interview together, you, you couldn't have been nicer. You were absolutely uh, wonderful. So thank you for that. Uh, but let's... Well, I appreciate that. You know, every once in a while... Uh, every once in a while, you're nice, right? A blind sow. <laughs> What's that? I said every once in a while, you're nice. No, I'm kidding. But uh, Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you caught me on a good day. I catch you on a good. And the audio sounds great today too. So let's quickly uh, go over um, the recent news. We of course have uh, Ario Speedwagon that appears in the Netflix uh, crime drama Ozark, and then the band, of course, ends up recharting on Billboard th- thanks to it. Um, how important is it for for the band to have an outlet of these kind of shows or commercials? That brings the awareness to the music to maybe fans that are too young or forgot or, or so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's just awesome. I mean the uh, our experience with Ozark could not have been better. Um, you know uh, they treated us great when we were on set. Um, you know the the crew, the cast. You know, and of course Jason Bateman. You know, it kind of starts at the top in most organizations and. Uh, Jason is just a, uh, you know, down to earth, just a good dude. You know, we hung out with him and uh, you can tell that, you know, it's like, like I say, it starts at the top. So that was great. And then when, uh, but so here's the thing. So I had a couple of lines in the episode. So they handed me the script for the scene that we were uh, filming and, uh, uh, and at the top of the script, it says Kevin Cronin was here, you know, as, as, as the title of the episode. And I just thought they were just, you know, trying to make me feel welcome. You know, uh, I thought it was really cool that they did that. And, uh, but then my family and I are sitting on the sofa in the TV room when the season three dropped and it came down and they actually kept that as the name of the episode and uh, it was one of the rare moments uh, uh, where both my uh, wife and all three of of our children thought I was cool at the same time. And that is a rare occurrence, Mitch, I will tell you that. <laughs> so, so that was pretty cool. And, you know, the way that they treated us, you know, they just shouted us out so many times over the first few episodes of the season. It was just all in all, just a great experience. Yeah. And, and, and also a great marketing tool. Let's, let's be honest about it. it it's great for business. Um, you did mention the children and I do want to get back to, to Ozark, but you mentioned the children. You, you of course had Holly sing with you on stage. You do Cam Cronin. She sometimes appears in the videos. Um, talk to me a little bit about that as a father, you know, we know that through the 80s, they were at the shows and they hung backstage and there's pictures of you with them at three years old, five years old, seven years old. But what does it mean now to have them stand on stage and sing a song with you and do Camp Cronin with you and, and be part of it? Well, you know, it's it's um, just to a certain degree unexpected, um, but but also uh, it's very inspiring and, and fulfilling at the same time. You know, when the way that... Uh, that my wife, Lisa and I, mostly her, but, but the way we brought up, uh, Holly, Josh and Shane was that we, uh, you know, there were 
basketballs, baseballs, guitars, drums, art supplies, everything that they, books, um, you know, anything that they might have wanted to, uh, you know, uh, be inspired by themselves. It was all, all around the house. And, you know, it was, I didn't want to be that guy who, you know, shoves music uh, in, into to their kids to fulfill some need in, in yourself type of thing. You know, I just, we just wanted to let them go where they, where, where life took them. And, um, and, you know, Holly ended up being, uh, very involved in musical theater and, and choir in, in high school. And Josh and Shane, our twin boys, they were basketball stars. They were, they were each MVPs of their high school basketball team. And, uh, but Holly, uh, enlisted them to join the choir to try to get more boys to follow suit. You know, she figured having a couple of jocks in the choir would help uh, make the choir have a little more swagger. And, uh, but what happened was that um, Shane started uh, getting a couple of solos as a member of the choir and saw that he was getting just as much attention for singing, if not more than he got as a basketball player. And he didn't have to you know, <laughs> spend three hours a day sweating in the gym. And so little by little, both Josh and Shane kind of, uh, they just, picked up guitars and keyboards and and uh so now th their band which is called sir please uh they've opened for for ariel a number of times over the past couple of years they're they're writing beautiful songs uh you know shane's voice is a i mean i should be so lucky to be able to sing like uh, like him it's just amazing this instrument that he has josh is a great bass player and songwriter and uh, so, yeah, and, and Holly is working uh, for CAA as a, as an assistant to a, a to an agent there. Uh, and so they're they're all in the music world. It just kind of worked out that way. It uh, wasn't by design. But, yeah, it's 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 nice to see uh, the kids kind of keeping the family business alive. Yeah, it really is. And, and I'll ask you this about Sir Please. You know, when, when bands start out and REO did the same thing, you make some great decisions, but you also make some incredibly awful decisions. You have this experience, the 30, 40, 50 years. Do you look at Sir Please and go, okay, they have to make these mistakes to learn? Or do you get so involved where you go, hey guys, mm, I've been there, right? How, how do you handle that? It's, uh, yep. Mitch, you just uh, you hit the nail on the head there, man. Trying to uh, to walk that tightrope is, um, you know, is something that uh, you know it's important to me to try to stay on the right side of that line, you know, of being helpful and sharing my experience, but also allowing them to fall when you know when they need to. Um, so, uh, you know, as as in most things in life. Um, you know, sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. And, uh, but all in all, uh, I feel really fortunate to, to have, uh, honest, soulful relationships with, with all three of, of, of Lisa's and my children. And, um, you know, to have Holly come on and do our live stream, which we do on Saturdays here at Camp Cronin, uh, you know, that's just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier as a, as a dad to, uh, to, you know, to share that little, uh, that little 
spotlight with her, you know, because Holly's so, she's just so relaxed. She's so natural in front of the camera. You know, we, we were, she was with me when we filmed the, the movie uh, version of uh, Rock of Ages. And, uh, and we were on set for about 12 hours. And during one of the breaks, Tom Cruise walked over to kind of just introduce himself and, you know, thank me for, for my participation in the, in the, the whole rock of ages phenomenon. And Holly was there. She was, I got her, I snuck her in as an extra. And I think she was 15 at the time. And you can imagine that a 15 year old young lady would be maybe a little flustered to, to meet Tom Cruise. And Holly was just, just like you see her, you know, on the, you know, on, on my little show here, just, that's just how she is. And she, she just has a, an innate ability to uh, handle herself uh, well. And, you know, so, so that's, I mean, that's really the most rewarding thing is just seeing that, that all three of these kids are, are good, good young people. You know, we, we were out, uh, you know, I, I joined them and about 1500 other young people uh, just yesterday here in Thousand Oaks, we, uh, we marched from, the promenade, which is kind of the main shopping area, about two miles to the uh, to the civic center, uh, and uh, and it, 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 I felt so inspired to just be in the presence of all these young people. It was totally peaceful, you know, thankfully, but very passionate, and uh, so you know, my children kind of. Uh, inspire me. You know, I looked at this, this demonstration and it reminded me of when I was in college and we were uh, demonstrating against the war in Vietnam uh, for uh, civil rights, for women's rights. And, uh, and so it was, again, you know, uh, just brought me back to those days and inspired me. And I was probably, um, uh, I was perhaps the elder statesman (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to put it mildly in this uh, march and it felt so good and and uh you know I, f- I feel like everyone needs to use the voice they have to speak their mind and uh and uh you know and try to affect uh change for the better in this great country of ours yeah and and that time that you described in vietnam and stuff with all it has defined the U.S. for the last 50 years, and I think we're in a moment now that, are, that are, is certainly going to define the next 50. That's my perception. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I, I think I think we're living history. I mean, you know, our kids will I, study yeah, this. I think we are. I mean, you know, as if a, a worldwide pandemic isn't enough to deal with, you know, then then you add the uh, the um, the situation up in Minneapolis, which is which is so unfortunate. I, I'm, it's, um, it's so disturbing to me what, what happened there. And, and, um, you know, and it's happened so many times and I just feel like enough is enough. You know, something has, you know, it can't just be, okay, we, you know, a couple of protests for a few days and then, and then it's forgotten that this really has to, there has to be some sort of systemic change. And, you know, that's what America is about. America is about, you know, Hey, we all, like we were saying earlier, we all are flawed. You know, we're human beings. We all make mistakes. We all do things that, that, that we shouldn't have done. And then there are, 
there needs to be consequences for, for, for those type of situations. And that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's the only way to get better is to learn from our mistakes. And, uh, you know, America has, has the freedom to, to demonstrate and to protest. And, you know, the, the sad thing is that when there are people who, uh, take advantage of a peaceful protest and, you know, start trouble and start, you know, um, you know, looting stores that, you know, for, for, you know, for selfish purposes. And that just spoils the whole, uh, idea that the protest is based on. And that, that's, that saddened me because then it's just like, okay, now, now there's violence on both sides, you know, but, uh, but, you know, to me that, you know, the, the police department has to be the good guys, you know? So, um, so that, that to me, you know, and we'll never know as, as, uh, you know, as a, as a white American, I, I, can, I will, I can never fully know what it feels like to be a, a person of color in America. And, and so I just have to trust and, and just, just trust my gut and, and listen to people who, who are, uh, who do understand it on a personal level and just, uh, get behind them because there's, you know, injustices always happen, but they need to be uh, remedied. And uh, so hopefully that's what's happening. Hopefully this is, uh, this is a healing time. Uh, hopefully change will come and, uh, and we'll all get through this, you know, as a, as a great mentor of mine and a kind of a guru uh, of mine <laughs> told me years and years ago at a, when I was in a, a going through a rough period and just personally, he goes, things are going to get better. Just keep saying that to yourself, you know, and it's true. Things are going to get better and, and they will. And uh, I have faith in uh, in the American people. And uh, so we'll just keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I believe that, too. I think we, we we are we are approaching the light at the end of the tunnel and, and we're going to get there. I think I think um, I don't want to to get away from a serious topic, but I do want to just quickly get back to your sons and sir, please. From your perception, you know, the music industry has changed. Back in the day, you had a couple of big managers and agents and you got on tours and you had the cycle and, and you sold albums and it was reasonably simple. Now with the attention divided through YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and, and you just it's all over the place, do you think they have the same opportunity to have a career like REO Speedwagon? Or is it really more of... Hey guys, you're going to be playing these small gigs and bars for a while. Get used to it, but you know, go go to university and get an accounting degree just as a back. Like, it, it, is it set up for them to have a, ch a shot? You know, that's a that's a really good question, Mitch. And uh, you know, I wish I knew the answer. I I can tell you that um, that you know we made a deal with with our boys that that they would both um, go to college and and. Uh, and they both are they're they're uh, uh they're both uh well remotely going to college you know um but uh you know we really strongly encourage them to to get a college degree um and they're both uh they're you know Shane is in the pop music program here at uh, at USC as a vocalist and and Josh is uh in uh in the music industry program so they're both in music you know, in school. So it kind of, 
it kind of works in tandem with them being in their band. And, you know, they've got a setup here in my old studio where they, they rehearse and uh, they write and uh, they've, they've written some amazing songs. I'm so proud of them. They're really, I mean, and I'm a, I'm a pretty tough critic when it comes to songs and it's not like every song that, that, that they write, uh, I think is great, but there are, there are a bunch of good songs and my advice to them, and I think they're, they're, they're heeding it is to use this time to write and to be creative. They're, they're, they're 20 years old. This is, this is the heart of their, of their creative, the most creative time of their life, uh, potentially. And, uh, so I just encourage them to um, to harness that creativity, keep writing, and you know, because to me, um, uh, songs are power. You know, if you've got songs that people w- w- connect with, then good things will happen, and uh, and and that that I firmly believe. Um, you know, uh, so they they've got some great songs, and and we'll see. You know, I mean, I would love it if they could make a career out of uh, playing music because they're, they, they've got the talent. Um, you know, what you're, you know, what you're bringing up is just the atmosphere um, in the, in the world of music and what it will look like <clears throat> in the, in the, in the near future, in the, you know, in the wake of this pandemic, you know, I, I have no idea what, um, what live music is going to look like, you know, hopefully things will, will get back to, uh, to where they were, but no one really knows. And uh, so in the meantime, we just uh, keep our creative juices flowing. We put one foot in front of the other and uh, we see what happens, but yeah, they, they will, pardon me. They will hopefully uh, get their degree. And, and so if they need that degree, they'll have it. And um, so we're uh, trying to keep that balance. So keep, far, so good. Keep them focused, and and at some point, if they if they hit, they become successful. You can retire from REO and become a tour manager because you know that's easy. Just ride Thank the bus, you. <laughs> right? Well, you know <laughs> what happened was uh, about two years ago, I was uh, emailing uh, someone I can't remember exactly who it was, and I said in the email that I was kind of their their acting temporary manager. And then I realized that the uh, the uh, that uh, uh, that that would uh, um, equal ATM if you put the the initials on it. So I, uh, I I deemed myself ATM management, and I was the ATM in more than one sense of the word, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I, I do indeed, and I can appreciate that. I, I, let me just bring it right back to the uh, music here for a second, because we we've actually spoken about everything except Ario Speedwagon in a sense, but the uh, the song ah. "Time for Me to Fly." was, of course, the one used in Ozark, but it comes from the, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Um, my first question on that is, this is the first album where you stood in as co-producer. Talk to me about that decision, because as a fan, I've always thought, boy, it's nice to have an extra set of ears in the studio, a Bob Rock, or a Rick Rubin, uh, you know, uh, so on and so forth. Was that a, a difficult decision to say, okay, listen, I'm going to come in here, and I'm going to be making some decisions. Um, was it a was it the right choice? Was it a scary choice? Just talk to me about that decision. Well, you know, Mitch, the the truth is, we had um, up until that point, we had um, always been assigned a producer 
through the through Epic Records, and Epic Records was so supportive of us. I mean, they, you know, High Infidelity was our eleventh album. They stuck with us through ten albums, uh, you know, to finally kind of, you know, hit the hit the jackpot with High Infidelity. But um, up until the Tuna record, we just felt like we would make these records with with you know well-known producers, John Stronach, who produced uh, Joe Walsh and Bill Halverson, who produced my heroes, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Um, but for some reason, the, um, they, those, those early albums never really, uh, in our minds captured the, the power and the excitement of a live REO Speedwagon show. Um, REO TWO kind of did, but we kind of produced that, you know, we had a producer, but he kind of never showed up. So when it came time to do the tuna album, um, we felt like we had a, uh, some really strong songs. And, and honestly, I didn't want to risk having an outside producer come in and spoil them for us. So, um, so we went to Gary and I went to New York, sat down with the president of, of Epic records and, uh, and we made a deal where um, where uh, uh, Rana Luxemburg, who was the president of Epic at the time, suggested that we bring John Boylan, uh, who had just produced the, the great uh, Boston debut record, uh, and that he he not be a co-producer. He'd be more of an executive producer. You know, they just wanted to kind of hedge their bet a little bit. They wanted to let Gary and I produce, but but they wanted John Boylan in the room and they wanted Paul Grupp to engineer. And I thought that was freaking amazing. It's like, okay, so you're telling me that Gary and I get to produce the album. We've got a great engineer in Paul Grupp. And if we run into trouble, we got John Boylan sitting on the sofa in the back of the room. It's like, bingo, let's go. You know? So we kind of had the best of both worlds. And, uh, um, and as a result, we had the freedom to, uh, really experiment on the tuna fish record. And, you know, I write, you know, the story of the tuna fish record is pretty, uh, it's, there's a, a lot happened, you know, with, with, with that transition from producers to self-production. And I write a lot about it in, and I'll plug the book that, that I've been writing for the past three and a half years, which, uh, uh, not coincidentally is entitled Roll with the Changes, uh, My Life Within and Without Ario Speedwagon. And I talk about the, you know, really what the, you know, the inside story of how the Tuna Fish record came to be. And uh, it's one of my favorite Ario Speedwagon records. And the experience was, uh, was not without its drama, uh, but ultimately, uh, I'm, you know, I'm proud of how that record turned out. As you should be. I mean, it's a great record. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question here, and then I'm going to move over to the uh, the Led Zeppelin stuff, just because we're going to run out of time. But you are right when you say that the band, the record company, I should say, stuck with you for you know nine, ten albums before. Why do you think that is? Because most bands back in those days, you had sort of three shots: the first one, the sophomore, and then by the third one, you either in the money or you're out on the street. Now we're down to like one album, one song for, for, for most people. Why do you think they didn't just say, hey, boys, it ain't working out? Why did they stick with you? Yeah. You know, I think there's, I think there's a, a, a couple of reasons. One of them was that we were a hardworking band. We, we played probably between 250 and 300 shows a year. So Epic knew that 
we were out there beating the bushes. I mean, we played every small town, every, you know, uh, the, the people in small town America really uh, got behind us from day one. And, uh, and so the record company knew that they could count on us to go out there and, and play the songs that, that were recorded on our, on our most recent record. So, so, so they, so they, they had that. They, we also had an amazing uh, manager in, in Irving Azoff. We were, we, you know, Irving Azoff, who now is basically uh, runs the world as far as we're concerned, but, you know, Ario Speedwagon and Danny Fogelberg were Irving's first clients. And you know, Irving was from downstate Illinois, which is where uh, he was a student at the university of Illinois, which is where Ario Speedwagon started. And, uh, you know, us, us and Danny were his first clients and he was just a, uh, he, he's to this day, uh, is such an advocate of his artists and he will fight to the end, uh, for the, for the betterment of, of the, of the artists that he represents. So he was in our corner. Um, and I think there, you know, every record did just enough to kind of break even. So it was like, the you know, Epic was like, well, we didn't really make anything off this last ario record but we didn't lose anything either might as well give him another shot you know so it was kind of uh you know i think those three things that there was uh you know we were we were hard we, we, we were perseverant you know we we believed that that we could do it because in a couple of little pockets of america you know in the st louis area the kansas city area the indianapolis area um you know, basically, you know, in 1977, we headlined Bush Stadium in St. Louis and sold it out. You know, same thing in Kansas City. We had, you know, Fleetwood Mac opening for us, you know. And then, of course, you know, a week later, we'd go to Denver and play a bar. But but we always kind of thought, you know, if we can if we can have this kind of an impact, if our music can take root and become part of people's lives in these areas, why not everywhere? And that kind of kept us going. And, uh, you know, eventually I think, uh, Epic, uh, their, you know, their faith in us paid off. And, uh, so it, it kind of pretty much a, a happy ending as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I could ask you a whole bunch of other questions, but I'll, I'll, I'll move over to the questions for the other show uh, sent in by a producer, Joseph Cristiano. The, these are the ones for the, by the way, thank you for the interview. That was absolutely fantastic. Even though I still have about 25 more questions, but uh, real quick, this is for the, uh, the Led Zeppelin show here. Uh, the first question that uh, Joseph wants me to have you answer is, were you or the band influenced by Led Zeppelin in any way, shape, or form? Well, you know what? My first band uh, in Chicago when I was in high school uh, was, was a band called Fuchsia. And, uh, you know, we had a few original songs and, uh, and we did, you know, a lot of covers as well. And we, we covered Buffalo Springfield. We covered Moby Grape. Uh, so we were kind of a folk rock kind of thing we covered the birds but when when led zeppelin came out and we heard a whole lot of love we were like it blew our minds we were like whoa what is this you know this was just something totally outside of our wheelhouse uh but we really liked it and so we covered a whole lot of love uh and i think we i thought, think we uh we did it justice and so it it kind of brought you know led zeppelin brought a little more of a 
of a blues rock kind of influence into into my consciousness and uh i think it in a way uh it prepared me for uh when when i got the call from gary Richraff and uh and suddenly found myself uh as the lead singer of a, a hard rock band which was not what what i saw in the cards for myself at all you know i i kind of saw myself uh you know you know when i heard uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, I was like, oh, that's the band that I thought I was going to be in, you know, but, you know, you just never know in life. You just got to be ready for, for what comes your way. So you got to yeah, so roll I, with the I changes. To, uh... Right. Pardon me. You said you got to roll with the changes. You you, you do <laughs> indeed. Uh, okay. Let's real quick here. Uh, uh, what other questions here? Uh, have you ever seen the band Led Zeppelin live? You know, I have never seen them live. I, I kind of regret that because uh, I, they did play Chicago a, a few times, um, you know, back in the day. Um, but I never, I never made it out to see them. I, uh, but I, you know, I did have an interesting conversation, uh, you know, re- regarding uh, in, regarding Jimmy Page. I was uh, I was touring europe with uh with a symphony orchestra and it was uh david coverdale you know, obviously from deep purple myself and mike reno from Loverboy, uh and we would sing you know a, f- a few of our big hits uh you know fronting this huge symphony orchestra and this kind of hard rock rhythm section and and i was dying to to sit down with with david and just kind of you know I just wanted to talk to him about the British invasion and, and, and what, what his impression of it was. And, and then in talking to him, I realized he was really curious to see what my impression was. And I was talking about, you know, my favorite bands. And of course the Beatles were first and, but, but then there was the Dave Clark five and there was, uh, the animals and there were, there was the kinks. And I was like, man, you know, when that first kinks record came out and I heard that guitar, and you really got me, you know, I, I was like, Oh my God, that's just, that was a sound like I'd never heard before. And I was like, Dave Davies is just such an, an amazing guitar player. And, uh, Coverdale starts laughing. He goes, he goes, Oh mate, that was not Dave Davies on guitar. That was Jimmy Page. He's like, you know, pretty much every British invasion record that you heard, it was Jimmy playing the guitar. He was the top studio cat in, in England at the time. So, uh, so I, you know, I was being influenced by, uh, you know, what would become Led Zeppelin long before Led Zeppelin even existed. Yep, absolutely. And I'll finish with this. The uh, last question they had is, uh, do you have a favorite Led Zeppelin album and or song? Um, you know, well, I would have to say that uh, that uh, that whole lot of love is my favorite Led Zeppelin song. It was the first song I ever heard by them, and. Uh, like I say, I used to perform it. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of, you know, uh, running into Robert Plant at a party up in uh, Sonoma a few years back. Uh, and, uh, he was a total gentleman, totally cool dude, you know, down to earth, you know, not, not, uh, you know, no rock star, uh, you know, stuff, you know, just like hanging with the guy, you know, and I've been able to, uh, to sing in front of Jason Bonham on drums, you know, with the, with Sammy Hagar. And, uh, so I've, I've kind of been surrounded by, uh, by Led Zeppelin's music in one way or another over the years. There it's, if you play in a rock band, 
you know, the influence of Led Zeppelin is just inescapable and, and, and it's a treasure because they really, uh, blazed the trail for, uh, for rock and roll as, as far as, uh, you know, bands who, uh, rocked, but also wrote songs that, that were just, uh, incredibly written and performed. So, uh, so yeah, there you have it. There you have it, and uh, thank you. So one interview, two shows, not a bad deal. Uh, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, and I will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll I will take that any day. Any day, and, and I and I will forever remember that Malone uh, New York show. I got to introduce the band and and everybody in the in the crew and Tom are just super super nice. So uh, merci beaucoup for that. Thank you. Well, you gotta. I mean, I, I'll tell you, we're we're blessed to have a, a great. Uh, not, not only just a, a great group of guys, the five of us in the band, but our whole, you, know, you, you experienced it. You experienced our crew, you experienced our management. You know, we're all, we're all brothers and we're all, we're all in this thing together. And that's the way our, your speedwagon has always operated. And, you know, one of the toughest things about, you know, all the shows being, uh, being postponed and canceled and the, you know, the year, the, the touring year of 2020, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always optimistic, but, uh, but you gotta be realistic too. And it, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be much going on. I mean, when, you know, the, the Def Leppard Motley Crue thing got, got postponed till next year. And, um, so you know, the hardest thing about it is, you know, trying to take care of our crew, trying to take care of the, of the people that work in our management office and just trying to keep the whole ship afloat. And, uh, you know, but you know, we're, we're doing it. We're, uh, we're working hard every day on, on behalf of our, of our organization. And, and that's what, that's really what everybody has to do. If you, you know, we're kind of a small business if you look at it that way. And, um, so, you know, there are ways to, to take care of your people. You just gotta, you gotta dig in and it's, it's hard work. And, uh, but you know, we will come out of this. We will, we will make it through this. Um, it's not going to be easy. There's many challenges ahead, as we spoke about earlier, but uh, but I do firmly believe that things are going to get better. Oh, I do too. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. All right, Mitch. Look forward to talking to you again, man. You know, it's uh, you know anytime. I'm, I'm uh, you know it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, thank you, and uh, I'm trying to respect the time. So, th- <laughs> but thank you. Merci à la prochaine. See you next time. Okay. All right. Cheers. Bye bye now. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.